This evening's reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 8, reading from verse 6 to 13. In our Pew Bible, it's on page 1206. But the ministry Jesus has received is a superior to theirs, as the covenant of which he is mediator, mediator is superior to the old one, and, is, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Thanks, Steve. That's a difficult passage of scripture, isn't it? Yeah? It's not necessarily the easiest one uh, to just pick up like that. But in about, uh, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, Sarah and I will be out of that door. So whatever I say now, you can either make the most of it, or you can just sit there and think, what on earth was that passage of scripture all about? Years ago, I was a, a huge fan of Elvis Presley. I know it, uh, I look a lot like him, so my mother thought. And uh, I sing a lot like him as well and everything. But uh, you remember when Elvis died? Do you remember what you were doing when Elvis died, those of you who are old enough? I know exactly where I was when Elvis died. I know many of you will remember where you were when Kennedy died. But I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when Elvis died, and my world fell apart. The king was dead. I was uh, 12 years of age, if I remember rightly, and um, I can remember being a little bit surprised that in the days afterwards, and the weeks afterwards, and the months afterwards, and indeed the years afterwards, there would be headlines in the tabloids which were amazing. I was Elvis's love child. Uh, Elvis's ghost is my father. I swear there was one locally. Elvis is alive and well and serving petrol in a petrol station in Merthyr. <laughs> there were all kinds of things about Elvis Presley. Many people claimed to be related to the king. They wanted the prestige of bearing his name or possibly they wanted to sh share in his massive estate. In the heat of all this activity, a radio station advertised that for just $2 and a self-addressed stamped envelope, 
you could indeed be Elvis's child. And for $2, you would receive an authentic birth certificate. What's tragic about that story, by the way, is that 2,000 people sent in envelopes to become children of the king. The thing is, everybody knew it was stupid. Everybody knew that that piece of paper they then received back in the post was worthless. No one became Elvis's child because of a certificate. And the people who bought those documents soon found out that they had no legal standing to gain anything from Elvis's estate. The question for me is, why? Why would they bother to send in their envelopes? And perhaps more importantly, why on earth couldn't you become Elvis's child by purchasing one of those documents? It's all to do, of course, with authority. The people in the radio station had no authority to issue the document in the first place. Now, if you just keep that in mind, the passage that you've just heard and maybe found a little bit difficult from Hebrews chapter 8, that's basically what the writer is trying to get us to understand there. The writer's telling us that there is now a document, a legally binding, backed by full authority document, that can actually make you the child of the king. Only it's not the king of rock and roll, and it's not going to cost you two bucks. This document, known as the New Covenant, literally makes us children of the king the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. It's something the writer of Hebrews sees as having been hinted at way back when, in a prophecy that uh, the prophet Jeremiah had made hundreds of years before. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 8 in your Bibles, you'll, you'll see it there for yourself. Uh, God tells us in uh, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, it's quoted here in Hebrews 8, verse 10. The covenant I will establish for the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. This idea that you can become a child of God, the son of a king, as Billy Bray used to say, is something very, very important for us as Christians to understand. And if you're exploring Christianity and wondering just what it's all about, what does your relationship with God look like, this is critical. Because the Christian understands that they are in a relationship with God, as we'll see in a moment, where he is our father. And we are his children. You can be a daughter of God. You can be a son of God. You are a child of God welcomed into his family. So if you go on in the New Testament, you see that writers like John see this as very important. He writes in 1 John 3 verse 1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God of God. And that is what we are. That's an amazing 
thing, isn't it? That we get to be children of the king. Children of God. And the new covenant is what makes us children of the king. It has value and validity because it's backed up by absolute authority. The one who offered it has authority. That's what the writer is on about there back in Hebrews 8 and verse 6. He talks about the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it's founded on better promises. The new covenant, the new bit of paper as it were, has better promises than the old one. And it offers way beyond anything in terms of privileges and the like that we could have had before. This is also very important if you're going to understand the difference between following an empty religion and being in a faithful relationship with God. No religion ever changed my life. But a man changed my life. And that man stands in heaven tonight bearing in his body the marks of sacrifice. His name is Jesus. So don't be fooled into thinking that this is about religion or religiosity or paying two bucks for your certificate, putting your money into the offering plate or anything like that. This is about understanding that you can be a child of God based on something very, very different, a new way of doing things, a new covenant. So one of the first things that we need to understand is that this new covenant, this new relationship, this new way of doing things that God has made possible is something that offers us all a new relationship with God. As I said, it's not about religion. It's not about religiosity. People often say to me when they find out I'm a minister, oh, I'm not religious. To which I respond, neither am I. At which point they look very puzzled. But it gives me the opportunity to then talk to them about the relationship that I have with Jesus rather than about the religious things that I do or don't do. The old covenant, if you know anything about it, was something you were born into. If you read the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, you'll come across this again and again, won't you? You, 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 you read about the history of the Jewish people. You were born a Jew. That's the way it happened. You were born of Jewish parents, you were a Jew. If you were born a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, then you would be a Benjamite. That's what your parents were, that's what you would be. If you were born a Jew uh, of the tribe of Israel, well, you would be an Israelite. Just like unfortunate people today, like Tim, isn't it? Being born in England. They are born in England, therefore they are English. Terrible. And people who are born in Worcester, of course, what's all that about? And people who are born in Swansea are Jacks. But it's all about where you're born. It's all, you don't have much choice in it, do you? And friends of mine, when they were having their first child, raced to try and get into Wales to make sure that their firstborn was born in the promised land. 
What a load of nonsense. But that's the way the old covenant worked. That's why, in some ways, I want to say to you, this whole thing that goes on sometimes between us and nationhood and all of this, we have to be very careful. Because we're not bound by this stuff anymore. It's not about looking at a person and saying, well, you're the English and I'm Welsh. It's not about looking at a person and saying, well, you're from North Wales and I'm from South Wales. We need to be very careful because these were the things that dominated the old way of thinking, the old covenant. As we saw this morning, if you were a Jew, ah, you were all right. You were part of the in crowd. If you were a Gentile, you were stuffed. And God had to turn that on its head at the cross to explain that just because you were born one or the other had nothing to do with it anymore. You would be acceptable to him based on what he had done for you in Jesus. To become a Christian, it's very important that it's nothing to do with where you're born. You cannot be born a Christian. You can be born of Christian parents and be brought to church every Sunday, but you can't be born a Christian or say that you're a Christian just because your parents were. You have to be reborn. That's what the whole interchange between Jesus and a guy called Nicodemus is all about. Jesus tells him you've got to be born of water and of the Spirit in John chapter 3. You have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. You need to recognize that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. Repent of your sins. Confess that Jesus is your master. And he's the one who's now going to be in control of your life. That's a conscious, deliberate action of the will. Something you need to decide. Just because you were born somewhere, just because you have a long history of being part of this church is because your parents or grandparents may well have been involved in setting up this church. I'm sorry, it's got nothing to do with whether you are acceptable to God. You have to choose whether you believe on Jesus. No one else can make that decision for you. But when one makes that decision, Paul in Romans 8, Romans 8 tells us that we receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we can cry, Abba, Father. That's a lovely little verse. Just reminds us really of what it means to become a child of God. Nothing to do now with nationhood. Whether you're Welsh, whether you're English, whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist. No, no. Are you born again? Have you received the spirit of sonship? Can you call out to God, Abba, Daddy, Father? As you know, I've got two kids before they left home. Praise God they've left home. Um, they lived in our house, right? They lived in our house. They ate at our table. They watched my television, and I had to scramble for the blinking remote control. They slept in the bedrooms. They didn't contribute towards the mortgage, right? We had to do that. We had to cater for their weird tastes in some food and what they would and wouldn't eat. Every parent here knows what that's like. 
They got to do that. There were other children who lived in the neighbourhood. They used to come and go through our house as well. They could watch TV, my TV. They could watch the computer that I had bought with Sarah's money for the children. They could eat at our table. Yeah, of course they could. They could even sleep overnight. But the next morning, hallelujah, they went home. That's the fact. Only my children had the right to stay in my house. Only they had the right and indeed the privilege to call me dad. And you see, that's what Paul is saying in that lovely verse that you can see there. He's telling us that. We have been adopted into God's family. Not because you are Welsh or English or Scottish or Irish. Not because you have a good education. No, no. You've been adopted into God's family because of what God has done for you. And solely on that basis, as we saw this morning, you now have the right to call God Abba. Father. Daddy. And you can't be born into the kingdom by being born of Christian parents. We've got to make that decision ourselves. It can't be made for us. It's why as Baptists we won't christen children. We will welcome them. We will ask what names have been given to these children. We will pray God's blessing upon them. But we do not Christen them. We're not doing anything to them to make them acceptable to God. So one of the greatest promises of this new way of doing things, this new covenant relationship, is that it's got nothing now to do with where you're born. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be born in Israel. You don't have to belong to the elite tribe. No, no. You can have a personal relationship with God based on what God has done for you. The consequence of that is that, secondly, you then receive new citizenship. What is this going to look like in the new way of doing things? In March of next year, Brexit will be upon us. Well, one of the things that people are anxious about is the colour of their passport. Now, I am old enough to remember the blue ones. Diana, are you old enough to remember? No. You remember your mum? Wow. Pastor Tim, do you remember blue passports? No. I wonder if we'll go back to blue passports. Maybe. Maybe not. It's interesting that on the front of the passports, it says that you are a citizen of the United Kingdom, the European Union, or whatever it says on there. How will this work out in Brexit? I, I, I don't know, but I'll tell you this much what I do know. I am a citizen of somewhere else. And that's a very important thing as well for us to get our heads around. Because of the relationship I now enjoy with God... It means that my citizenship is quite different from anything that people just focused here on earth will have. I enjoy the rights and the privileges that go along with my citizenship. You can travel the world with a passport and you should be able technically to show that passport and it should give you 
rights and privileges. You should be able in any country in the world to enter the British consulate. You should be able to seek refuge. But my citizenship is not just of this earth anymore. My citizenship, when I became a Christian, moved up a notch. It went higher. You go back to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. Remember what the writer says? This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds, write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now what's fascinating about this whole covenant relationship is that it's made, of course, with the house of Israel. The problem I've got is that I wasn't born of Israelite parents. I did check, but my father was a Cardi and my mother was a Carmarthenshire girl. Okay? So they weren't Israelites. My guess is most of you here are not Israelites either. I did ask this question this morning. But is anybody here born of Jewish parents? Can I just ask that? Nobody. Okay. So as long as we're clear. Now, people in Jesus' day would have called you and me Gentiles. Here in Hebrews, we're told that the covenant is being made not with the likes of us, but with the house of Israel. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. So does this mean then that you and I are stuffed? How can we take part in this new covenant if we're not naturalized citizens of Israel? Now you see, start to see the problem that we looked at this morning. Because again, this is where you get Judaizers coming in amongst people and saying, Oh, you see, this is it. You need to sort yourself out. You need to take on all the practices of the Jews. Now, come with me to another passage of Scripture. Steve's going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. And I want us to look very carefully at these few verses. He's going to read from verses 11 through to 20. Thank you. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of, them, both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. 
For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Amen. Thanks, Steve. So we see the importance of it there, don't we? We are no longer foreigners and strangers. We are fellow citizens with God's people. It's not about whether we're English or Welsh, Scottish or Irish. It's not about whether we're born in the West or in the Third World. It doesn't matter. None of those things count. We are fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household. I have sisters and brothers in China, in Uganda, in the Ukraine, in the Yemen. You and I have sisters and brothers in Russia, in Belarus, in Romania, in Portugal. We are one family, one household. We are no longer foreigners and strangers. These things are false divisions. We must count ourselves one in Christ. These things are going to become very, very important as time goes on. As Brexit happens, the cause for nationalism will increase. And we must be careful as Christians as to how that could influence people to think of themselves. That we don't become isolationist. That we don't fall into some political trap thinking that we are better than other people. Our faith must dictate how we see things. Our worldview must be dictated not by the politicians and the newspaper editors, but rather by God's holy standards. There will be a desperate need for us as the people of God to seek by the Spirit of God unity amongst the people of God, particularly in other nations. Now you might think I am just making a political point, but I warn you, and the authority of Scripture, and if you read on into the book of Revelation, however you might understand it, I think these are going to be key things for us. We need to watch very carefully that we don't become preoccupied with national identity over and against being the household of God. We must hold on to it. We are children of God. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus. My citizenship is not here. I have a higher calling. And I belong to a different household. So you see what Paul is saying there in that lovely passage from Ephesians is, he's basically telling them straight, look, once you were just Gentiles, you were dogs. Nobody wanted to be bothered with you. You were separated from Jesus. You were excluded from citizenship with Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants. You were without hope and you were blinking heck without God. That's what he says. But that's not true anymore. 
And he says in verse 13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So it's why I can say to you tonight, I have sisters and brothers all over the world who don't speak the same language as me, who have different color skin to me, but they are my brothers and sisters. We are part of the same household. In verses 19 to 20, do you remember what he said? You're no longer foreigners and aliens. No, 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 no. You're fellow citizens with God's people. Members of God's household. Shocks me how much racism there still is alive, even in the church of Christ today. How much national prejudice does take place. Now, I know some of it is offered in jest and all of that, but we need to be careful. Banter is one thing, but God forbid that we should step over a line when Paul is very clear and the writer of Hebrews is very clear. None of this controls us. We're part of something much better. We've left the old way. It doesn't count anymore. We don't need to worry about where we're born or what colour our skin is, or whether we've been circumcised or not. It's not about our religious practice or preference. No, no. We're the children of the king. We are blood-bought. We're part of a new household. There's a new way of doing things around here. As a fully bona fide child of God, I have a new citizenship. I'm part of the covenant with Israel because where I was once excluded I'm now part of it God has made good on his promise in Ezekiel 36 I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I'll remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh see we're a new people we have a new relationship a new citizenship a new heart a new spirit it's because people are different from me it doesn't matter anymore my prejudices are gone we are a new people. A man approached a woman in a restaurant. And with a broad smile, he said to her, Dorothy, it's great to see you. Love your new look, darling. Changed your hair, the color of your hair. Your new makeup highlights your loveliest features. Dorothy, let me look at you. Oh, I really love your new clothes. Woman's blushing and she said, uh, Excuse me, sir, but I think you're mistaking me for somebody else my name is Helen oh he paused for a moment you've changed your name as well how lovely the woman suffered a case of mistaken identity why is it that you get that even in the church do people mistake us I wonder at times whether they do because with Jesus' blood, there should be no mistake who we are. The world expects a standard from us. It expects us to behave differently. We are children of God, remade and reborn with a whole new identity, with a clean slate and a fresh start. That's what being born again means. So back to the writer of Hebrews in that eighth chapter, verse 12. God says, I'll forgive their wickedness. And I'll remember their sins no more. Isn't that lovely? 
When you are born again, you get a fresh start. It's great, isn't it? Well, I think it is. I don't know about you lot, you miserable lot. Look at you. I know I need a fresh start. I need a clean slate. Problem is, though, I've got a problem. And you've got a problem, too. Because you need to ask the question, well, what was going on in the Old Testament then? Under the Old Covenant, does it mean that people's sins weren't forgiven? Do you remember in the Old Testament what they used to do so that sins could be forgiven? Do you remember? They used to sacrifice rather a lot of animals. The stench in the temple would have been incredible. Worse than the stench from the drains outside the back here. The blood flowing out of the temple. The rotten meat and stuff that would be, oh, it would be horrendous. Absolutely terrible. So what was all that for then? Did that not forgive sins? Well, they were forgiven, but they weren't. Let me show you. The writer of Hebrews addresses this kind of conflict, and it's important that we look at this. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we're told, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. How often do I quote that at communion? I say it again and again. That's why Jesus' blood was shed for us. So we are part of a new way of doing things now. This is the new way. Well, it's very clear. It's very specific. Right. Then you get to Hebrews 10, verse 4. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what's going on? Did the sacrifices of the Old Testament forgive people's sins or didn't they? Well, yes. And no. Um, the other night, I took my wife out for dinner. Fantastic meal. We had a lovely time. Came to pay the bill. Always throws those in the handbag. <laughs> so the bill has to be paid. And uh, we uh, open uh, my wallet. And uh, the girl comes to the uh, table with a little fancy thing. And you put your card in. And she says, it was over £30, so I couldn't do contactless. She's worth it, I tell you. I know I was a spoiler. Um, so I put my card in, and I then had to punch in my pin. Familiar with this, Margaret? So you sit there, don't you? You type in your pin, and you look at it. Going to be okay. And it says pin okay, and everything goes through. So here's my question to you When did the bill get paid? Think about it for a minute. As far as the restaurant was concerned, there and then the bill was paid. They certainly didn't stop us leaving, and they didn't ask me to wash the dishes. Hallelujah. The fact of the matter is, the bill won't be paid until the end of the month when my credit card statement arrives and I pay it. Something has to be commuted. Something that I have taken part in relies on something that is yet to come. And that's the way that we need to understand what was happening in the Old Testament. 
The sacrifices of the Old Testament paid for people's sins, but the bill came due on the cross. And it's always looking forward to the cross. It's always looking forward to what Jesus is going to do. If Jesus hadn't died on the cross for our sins, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament would have been worthless. And it's only because of the blood of Jesus being shed that we have any hope. And because of the blood of Jesus being shed that we have a new covenant. And because of the blood of Jesus being shed that we're a new household. And because of the blood of Jesus being shed, it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. Because the blood of Jesus was spilt at Calvary's cross, you and I can be a new household. Think about that the next time you pay for your meal. Let me finish with this. John Wesley once uh, rode from a church. He was preaching away and he's outside Hounslow Heath and he's accosted by a highwayman. True story. And uh, highwaymen like Dick Turpin and Dick Penderin, yeah, they used to stop people and demand your money or your life. And Wesley got down from the horse, emptied his pockets, showed he didn't have a blinking penny on him. And he said to the highwayman, come and have a look. He opened his saddlebags, opened everything. He was just a poor preacher. All he had was some books. And in disgust, the thief was turning away, leaving Wesley alone with his horse. And Wesley, being Wesley, cried out after him, Stop! I've got something more to give you. Puzzled, the robber turned back and Wesley leaned into his face and he said, My friend, you may live to regret this sort of life in which you're engaged. If you ever do, I beseech you to remember this. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. The robber hurried away silently. Wesley rode on his way, praying in his heart that maybe this guy would get convicted, blah, blah, blah. Years later, Wesley's preaching in a church. True story. It's the close of a Sunday evening service, much like this. He's getting ready to get in his car to go on holiday. <laughs> a stranger comes forward, begs to speak with Wesley. Wesley stands there, and it's the guy who had accosted him so long ago. And the highwayman had become a tradesman and better still, a child of God. And raising Wesley's hands to his lips, he affectionately kissed them and he said in deep emotion, to you, dear sir, I owe it all. And Wesley replied softly to him, no, my friend, not to me, but to the precious blood of Jesus. Everything changes the moment you understand what Jesus has done for you. My